So here it is at last, my interview with G Sinha from Respace Projects. He talks about how we saved landlords a million pounds through respacing. He talks about how he makes the spaces vital and responsive to the community. He talks about how he helps launch startups. He talks about how he does this all through the circular economy and all the things that work to bring those spaces together and make them exciting and make them vital again for the community and bring attention so that they can get rented out. In this time, we're certainly gonna need that. So have a look. If you're a creative, if you're a landlord, if you're a council and you'd want space or you don't know what to do with empty space, this is the video that's gonna educate you. See you on the other side. So welcome everybody, welcome G Sina from Respace Projects. Um, we're just gonna do a little bit of a chat um, to let, I want G just to introduce how the first, what, was it the first project G with uh, the Hive? So the Hive first project that Respace Project did, which is a momentous, monumental um, sort of project that they did. Um, and I kind of kind of came in at the tail end, and that's how I kind of met G and the, the Respace guys. But I just um, I was just completely inspired by when I first met them. And what they were doing is something that I'd wanted to do for ages. So I'm just going to let G tell us the story about the first three months of Respace, or just before they took the the, the lease on, and um, what what they what they did with with the with the um, project. So you'll see from the from the talk that it's what Respace Projects does is takes on empty, tired building, commercial properties, buildings, and kind of respaces them for community use. It's about um, reusing wasted resources, people's time, space, all those things. But G articulates it much better than I do. So I'm just going to let you go and take it away, G, and I'm going to disappear off the screen. So I can, I'll be there in the corner, just if you want to talk to me, but I want people just to focus on, on what you've got to say. So, gee, tell us, just before Respace Project kicked off, what was it? How did you take the opportunity? How did you, how was the opportunity brought to you? And then tell, tell us what happened from there. All right. Hello. How are you doing? You all right? Good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I know you're probably saying that to all the people out there, but I'm sure they're, they're going to be even better after they've heard what you've got to say. All right, so basically respacing is, um, it's actually, like you said, it's an old idea. It's something that you've wanted to do for ages. A lot of people, I think, have wandered around and seen empty buildings and thought that they'd like to do something with them. And you know, over the years from 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, and the early noughties, there were all these massive community squats inspired by um, you know, European projects and Christiania in, in uh, Copenhagen uh, and Amsterdam and stuff like that. And I think that there was this element of artistic freedom that had been floating around a long time. And uh, I fell into that scene myself. Uh, I fell into that world when uh, some stuff happened in my life. And I ended up living in one of these creative squats in, in Leytonstone in East London. Um, and the vibe there and the way that things worked it just, it was just so supportive. And it was just such a rebuilding, on a, on a personal level, such a rebuilding process, being able to be in a place where 
there wasn't any rent, there wasn't anything to worry about. But what you could do was just focus on healing yourself and focus on the local community and your your, your colleagues that you're living with. Um, and so when squatting got banned in 2013, it was kind of my campaign to find some way of keeping that going because it's such a safety net for people in society. And so that's what I did for a few years after 2013, for a couple of years, just because taking buildings and trying different ways of speaking to building owners. Because logically, you've got these giant empty buildings, they're paying money out. They've got all these horrible solutions like community property guardians and charity shops and stuff and uh, just security companies. It costs money. And so it just, it was such a, it, it made such a lot of sense, but it's so hard to talk to owners. It's so hard to talk can I, can I, Gee, can I just stop you there? Because it's, it's really important, one really important thing that I know a lot of um, people might be listening to this and that, that mis, I suppose, misunderstanding what res, how respacing differs to property guardianship. Could you just tell us like a, a quick snippet of how it differs and why it's better? There's no argument why respacing is different to property guardianship. Property guardianship is ultimately selling people under uh, standard accommodation for good cold hard cash. And it's a way of making large amounts of money for certain companies off the back of what is essentially a banned practice in this country, slum landlordship. So I don't know how that's managed from the 60s to 2020, somehow flip and become a legal thing. But now you've got councils providing understandard under accommodation. The way the respacing is, is, it's not really about standards, it's not about accommodation, it's about the trade-off of space. So what we're more about is saying, look, we're not gonna charge money for this because that would be outrageous. That is, that's, you know, that's exploitation. But what we can do is we can give you that space and in return, you can contribute towards either the fixing up of the space or running it or maintaining it. And the idea here is what you're doing is instead of taking money out of a local economy and then not putting anything back into that local economy, what you're doing is you're essentially allowing for growth and you're allowing for people to try out ideas. You're allowing for people to reset. And so it flips the idea of property guardianship on its head and it considers that the property while it's sitting there empty, could actually just serve the community. So it becomes a community guardianship type concept. And the, the, the difference is really clear because the principles behind what a respace or what community guardianship, what you do, the principles behind it is about delivering benefits. That's what it boils down to. It's like, how can we help? How can we fix these things? When somebody's got a problem, they'll come to a space and they'll say, I need to help. I need help. And to be able to enable them by saying, here's some space, here's some materials, here's some brilliant people who can help solve your problem. And meanwhile, you can help solve somebody else's problem. The power behind that is inherently 10 times more valuable, I think, for a local community than having a property guardianship, you know, which is essentially, you know, a giant old building that no one's allowed to even make look nice. So the fact of the matter is, even the rules of property guardianship say the place has to continue to look in whatever horrible state it was in. And that's an eyesore for the local community. And to me, that's an insult to the people who have to walk past that building every single day. That's like saying, well, you guys, you can look at this crap because we don't care what you're looking at. But here's yeah. a nice part for people with loads of cash. And look, it looks amazing in there. And we'll spend millions on making sure that that bit looks good and that bit looks good. But yeah. in these areas, they won't even let people 
make it look better for themselves. Yeah, and, it, and it, 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 it's funny because that is, as you're saying, that you know people walk by and it continues to look an eyesore. Meanwhile, people are still making money from it. <laughs> they're taking the resource out of the community, but you know, in the back end, they're making they're making a load of money money out of it, which you know, not just making money. They're making money, and they're also simultaneously creating an environment where the people who are living in that place have no direct connection to the area they're living because they're just moving them around left, right, and center. You've got no tenancy rights and a property guardianship, so you can be in and out in two months. You're not spending money in the local shops because you're not from that area. At the end of the day, what you're likely to do is go to your work, do your job, come back, go hang out with your mates where you always hang out with your mates, and then come back to your property guardianship because it's essentially just a place for you to, to crash, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. no impact on your local community. You might as well be a ghost. All you're doing is draining from it. It's not your fault. That's, that's the, the role of a property guardian. They're yeah. a paid security that's actually mm. paying for the privilege of it. Yeah. yeah. I'll look after yeah. shit and I'll pay you for it. It's, it's yeah. comical yeah. how it's being framed. So t- t- tell us then, um, or share with everybody, literally that first, that first project, you know, the, 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 how you kind of were offered this opportunity of the hive and how you built it. And, you know, just that kind of first initial terror, or was it, um, uh, you know, like, I'm sure there's loads of different emotions that were involved in having that first thing and then saying, oh, let's do it anyway. And, and that, it just, just, it's just, it fascinates me to, I mean, I've heard, I've heard the story, but I, I want everybody to hear the story because I just think it's fascinating what you did. Fair enough. So, yeah, so the, the whole, the whole campaign really started, it started with heritage buildings. It started with these beautiful old pubs and mansion houses and, you know, um, police stations and things that were built, that were built in the 1800s, 1700s, some of them, right? And they were just being allowed to rot by landlords. And then we were watching other ones being taken over by property guardianships. And there was a, a current move then was squatting in terms of making community squats. And so I started a little squat crew. Uh, and what we did was we went, we took over these lovely buildings and overnight or within a week, we would try and completely make it look different, whether on the inside and the outside, paint it up, you know, like superficial stuff, because you've only got a limited amount of time in these buildings. And the idea was, could we bring enough attention to this building to like almost give it another boost, you know, get the landlord to come out and kind of go, oh, wow, that's, actually my building could do that. That's really cool. And then see if we couldn't get that building back into use instead of, you know, disrepair and, and causing untold amount as untold amount to damage the local community so that was the campaign and i think we must have done it quite well because we got a reputation for doing it after a while and so in 2015 um in fact it was the end of 2014 i got a phone call from the hackney's charity voluntary services which is like they, they manage all the voluntary organizations in hackney it's like 2000 of them um, and they said, look, we're doing this, this event about poverty. Um, we know you've been throwing loads of events all over Hackney. Um, can you help us do it? Which is a bit of a revolutionary move for them to reach out to this kind of a, you know, we had that 
ethical, you know, we had the face, the branded, nice, cool, you know, brand suspenses and all the cool flyers for our parties. Um, so they asked if they could do it, if, if we would help them out. So we helped them out and obviously we didn't charge them any money because, you know, they're doing it for a good cause. And that's what it was about. And it was through that that they said, well, look, since you've done such an amazing job, would you consider doing it in a building if we could get you one or if we knew of one? And so that's where that started. So the next thing was to speak to the landlord and pitch him the idea and say, look, this is what we do. This is what we've got in mind, an idea called community guardianship, which is where you can have people staying in the building and in return for staying in the building, they will contribute a certain amount of time towards facilitating this, what we're going to just call a multifunction community space, right? It was Hive, human interest, versatile environment is what Hive stood for. So that was the kind of basic pitch. And he went for it. He, um, Michael's a good guy and he kind of recognized, I think that we had some really good ideas. And let's face it, landlords, developers, they're, they're smart guys and he wanted to get in with the council and look like he was, you know, a good guy. So they might give him some other properties or, you know, sell him some other stuff. Um, so that became a reality and we signed a contract in April of 2015 um, for the project to start. And then, as you say, it was terrifying. So initially I'd had this idea that I was gonna save up loads of money. We were saving up money from all the events and trying to you know, stockpile it so that we have enough money when we started with this building to be able to buy in the stuff that we need, get it functioning and not have to worry about it to begin with. But as fate would have it, like about two weeks before the hive actually opened, just when we were about roughly around the time of signing the contract, um, I got robbed. Somebody, some people had obviously found out that there was a significant amount of cash, cash money locked in my house. And um, three guys with knives and hammers came and took it, the lot. Um, so that was a bit of a blow and that meant that two weeks before the hive I had like a hundred quid in my pocket um, and that meant a completely different trajectory for the hive so on top of the terror of having the responsibility and thinking about the insurances and the team and how we were going to get it all up and running because it was a huge empty office block and it was like completely gutted so we have to put all the rooms in and we'd have to work out what to do with it it was almost like exactly as you say, it was almost like, oh, fuck it, we're here now. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's there. So we cobbled together about 250 quid, which we used to pay for the very first public liability insurances and some fire um, precaution stuff, <clears throat> fire safety stuff, just to keep the building as safe as we possibly could. And then everything else we built out of what we found in the streets. I mean, that's what we'd done with the the parties anyway, we'd always found pallets and found materials and been given wood and took stuff out of skips and, and built all of our party stuff anyway. Um, but this we just took it up to the next level. So we did that and from the moment we started to the moment we were actually physically able to open, it was about two weeks. We just- wow. amazing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I know for people that have not seen the hive, it was three-story office building, right? Yeah. It was huge, and to that's that was a feat in itself to 
get three stories of office space ready for people to kind of be part of, you know, for three people to come to, to, to event. You know, yeah, that, 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 that's amazing. And that, this, when you talked about this stuff that you found and bought in, can you, I mean, I know we, we, we call it the circular economy. Can you just talk a little bit again about how that was instrumental in enabling you to advance as, as quick as you did? Well, it's got, it's got twofold principles. One, it's about questioning what do you actually need when it comes to trying to do something? What is it you need? If you're trying to run a community venue, what materials, what furniture can you have as a minimum that's going to allow it to function? And number two, if you look at the amount of actual waste there is in society, putting aside buildings, putting aside 60% of the food that we produce, you're talking about around 50,000 50, tonnes of commercial building waste, right? That is usable. That is usable material. So we're talking about full plasterboards. We're talking about girders. We're talking about electric sockets. We're talking about everything that you could possibly need. Wiring by the by the meter, do you know what I mean? So as, as, we, as you try and build anything organically, you, you don't necessarily start where you're gonna finish, right? You don't get bored in your full grown adult self. The hive started with crappy chairs, like literally the first five, 10 chairs we could find that weren't covered in moths and you know, spiders and stuff. But over a period of time, as a chair was upcycled, or you know fell apart depending on which way it went other chairs would become available we'd find another one or somebody who walked in and used it would say well actually i've got one at home so slowly over a period of just a few weeks the chairs went up in, in quality so all of a sudden we've got leather couches everywhere because leather is much easier to keep clean right and so you you know it's the same with our kitchen we started with a basic kitchen basically a basic sink a, a cooker that had been found thrown away in the streets where one of the hogs didn't work. The guy who found that cooker, Ivan, built the kitchen. Within two and a half weeks, just from what stuff he made and food that was given and sold for donations, he'd managed to buy a 600 pound professional cooker to install into that kitchen. So it's an evolutionary process. And the idea here was, what do you need to begin? Really, what do you need? You know, we're encouraged to think about funding applications. And if I'd have put funding application into the stuff that we use to build the hive, I'd have probably tried to charge like 15, 20 grand to get that material. And it would have probably taken me about six months. Yeah, you would have probably still been waiting. <laughs> You've still been waiting for the funding decision. Is it value for money? All those, well, all those kind of... <laughs> well, of course it is. We know it's value for money. But it's... um. But, but that, that, that initiative is something that, I, I'm, that really strikes me every time. It's just like, well, actually, just do it and, you know, find it, not recklessly, but actually, if you've got an idea, if you've got a concept, and, you know, people say, oh, build it and it will, build it and they will come. It's not always the case, but actually, if you build something cool and interesting and engaging, they will come. It's not just about building it. It's having that right kind of mindset and that right team to make it happen and even if you haven't got the team and you don't think that you can do it and you've for example somebody finds a building actually you, 
you know, you can you can approach you guys. It's like, well, I found this building. Can you help me get this? Get this, you know, on on the street. And that's kind of what what I did because I I I wanted to have a space. I knew there was plenty of spaces available where I was moving to in South End, um, as there is up and down lots of high streets now before the pandemic, and there's going to be even more empty properties after the pandemic. And I came to you guys and like, you know, I've got this idea and you kind of said, okay, just do it. What do you want to do? Go for it. Obviously you help, you help me. And some of the things that I wasn't too sure, sure about, but it was that, I suppose it's that desire of just wanting a space. Cause I know when I say to people, would you like your own space for little or low or little, little rent? You know, if I'm talking to a, a, a um, a conference or something there are lots of people put their hand up and they're really enthusiastic and they say come and talk to me at the end nobody comes because they think it's too good to be true or there's some sort of catch or there's too much responsibility or there's so it kind of uh, people have this idea and a desire that they it's a good idea that i'd want to do it but actually it's 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 hard work doing it but the rewards are amazing especially what you can do for other artists and other creatives and how you can share that space, as you were saying. Well, to be fair to you, Chrissy, it is hard work. But I think the work that we're doing um, as this sort of first generation of doing this network building, this project building, I think it's the Wild West. I think we're taking on a lot of the bigger challenges. And the mm. hope is, as we break down barriers and as we take steps forward in what we're doing, just like in South Bend, the next person to try and open a project in South End is going to find their way much easier than you did. Just, you know, you remember that little memory of when the council were trying to threaten you and bully you into giving them some stupid couple of days worth of rates. And do you remember? It was like, oh, and they were just like, what, what are you trying here? Do you know what I mean? And so the fact that you stood firm in the face of that and just went, nah, I'm not doing it. Sorry, you're wrong and you're going to change means that the next time that someone tries to do something like that, tries to take on a project, they've got your precedent. Mm. All that really became. So after that first few months of Respace, we realised what we'd done, and the volunteers came, you know, flocking in, and it was, you know, it was a, like it was like a perfect moment and a perfect storm. We have we had a reputation for throwing great parties anyway, so we were lucky that that attracted quite a lot of really talented people to the first mm. wave. Very much set its condition of being this. this I know you, you you've mentioned parties a couple of times, and I know there might be some landlords or some councils thinking, "Is that all they do? Is party?" Tell us a little bit more what what else happened at, at, at the hive. Because yesterday it's it's not party in the way you you know you've got drunkard people and you're wrecking the place. It's actually events where it, you know there's constructive people coming to attend these things and. I think there's an important distinction, and I'm glad you brought it up, but and, and, and we needed the party scene to kickstart, to get the attention, because the reality is, is that business people and sound reputable people do not necessarily look at just a bunch of people who turn up with an idea and give them any credibility whatsoever. But if you've taken a gigantic building, and in four days transformed it from a broken down old Pizza Express into a theatrical venue worthy of like the West End. You've got every local business up and down that high street with their own little pop-up stall in the backyard and inside. 
you've got fire breathers and you've got magicians playing all night long and the tickets are like three quid and everybody from the local community comes in and the local newspaper turns up to cover the night and the reporter ends up modeling in the catwalk show. You got attention and that was all it was in the first case. Can we get attention? Can we be shown to be sensible? And when we gave the building back, we didn't give it back, but when we eventually left that building, it looked like a, it looked like a venue. It didn't look like a broken down old pizza hut. So the owners walked in and thought to themselves, well, these aren't bad people, ultimately. And so it was very much, a, and it has always been, it's very much been about gaining trust. So having got that, we decided, right, we've got this amazing opportunity with The Hive to do more than just events, to actually start tackling some of the bigger problems in the world, like homelessness, like food poverty, like fuel poverty, trying to talk about some of the major issues like people's personal rights, like environmental and ecological issues. And those are the main reasons where we move forward. We thought, okay, now we're gonna do things. So at The Hive, we had, obviously we had music events, but we also had conferences. We had hundreds of exhibitions. We had um, general meetings. We had the Labour Party, local Labour Party and National Labour Party come down to use it for their events. Um, we built skate parks inside it. We pushed the envelope of what you can do with the building very specifically. And that was because that's what we were trying to do. And this is the key. What Respace does, what I do, and what my organization, what you do, is we are about trailblazing and we're about setting these inspirational projects up. But we're not expecting all the buildings to be like that. We're expecting other buildings to be just art venues or just food spaces or just this, but with their own cultural mix and their own idea of what is really important and what is necessary for the local community. So yeah, it grew from a certain seed that's been going since the 70s, you know, that cultural squat scene. And music is such an integral part of modern life that it was almost bound to be that way. But it means so much more. In fact, the, the, probably my favorite statistic from The Hive is, is that as we did a survey at the end, surveyed all of the people who've been through The Hive, thousands of them, and got quite a few hundred back, I think something like 80 odd percent, I need to check the number, 80 odd percent of people reported that through their interactions with The Hive, their understanding and their environmental behaviors had changed positively for the better, right? That's 80%. When you're talking about that sort of positive impact moving forwards, that's what we're about. We're about helping people make change. Can you can you say a little bit about the um, the action report and about the sort of I suppose the money and the savings that you use through the circular economy that you save the landlord? Kind of like do you, do you remember any of the figures from the action report that that you created? I mean, I've got them all approximately in my head because, you know, and the, and the ironic thing here is that we could not calculate the benefits. I think we stopped counting once we went past a million. We just thought, oh, there's no point counting this anymore. Because when you break it right down, we gave uh, across the thousand nights, the thousand days that the hive was open, we gave about 10,000 nights of sleep to people who would otherwise have been homeless. On average, that would cost 30 to 60 pounds per person per night. So that's one massive saving. On top of that, we gave away about 
10 to 12,000 free meals, not including all the pay-as-you-feel supermarket stock, the, the half a ton of food that we used to get delivered weekly. That's not withstanding when you're renting out exhibition space in Dalston. For a small room, you could be talking £5,000 a week for an artist to be able to rent that space out. That's out of the reach of most people. Absolutely. Ours was £100 a week. So when you're talking about 57 exhibitions, I think we did, 57 to 60 exhibitions, two week long, across the entire run of the highs. How much is that in terms of savings? At 5,000 pounds per exhibition compared to 100 pounds per exhibition. We're talking about well over a half a million pounds there of saved money from the community and able to be able to put on their art shows. When it came to the conferences, it was the same. Conferences that should cost 15, 20, 30 quid we were letting people in for free. And then on top of that, you've got space hire to events and to fundraising organizations where instead of having to pay money to hire the space, they were able to give us a small percentage to cover our costs and the rest of the money could go directly to the places that they were trying to fund. So they're taking 70, 80%, 90% of the money that they turned over and were able to send that out to do good. And then on top of that, there's the health and well-being benefits that we provided. And then the icing on the cake is, is that we probably saved the landlord half a million pounds in rates across that period of time, plus the security and maintenance costs, which I think we worked out to be about 200 and something thousand pounds. So in total, we probably saved the landlord 700,000 pounds. So we're talking about the unique opportunity to give millions of pounds worth of benefit while simultaneously saving nearly a million pounds. It's absolutely ludicrous what can be done just because our society has got this weird flip when it comes to wasted buildings, doesn't quite understand or know how to make that function. Do you know what I mean? Cause, cause, yeah, because I know, you know a lot of landlords, you know, the perception is all they want is money, 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 money. It's a, it's a business, yeah, and, and, and we get it. But the amazing thing with the landlord that you were working with, they got on with other projects. There's other projects that they, that, that they were getting on with. And actually, it wasn't necessarily about the profit that they were making. It was about what they were saving, as you've just said. So, But also the social good that they were allowing you to do, which, as you said, had a great... Um, you know, built a great relationship with him and the council. So it wasn't always about the traditional way of being able to help a landlord by saying, you know, the landlord turned around and said, oh, what rent are you going to pay? And let me put a, a well-known brand in there that can pay the highest rates or rent or, you know, lease it to that, you know, a full insuring and repair release where actually you did all that ins the insuring and you did all the repairs. You did the same things. But rather than like shelling out loads of money to the landlord to say, okay, I'm going to increase your profits, actually you save them a lot of money if it had laid empty, because you wouldn't have been able to rent it out unless it was to property guardians. But we know what that, you know, the, the, the pitfalls of that is. And, and that's the key. I think the key here is that this isn't a solution for every single building. I'm not, you know, and it wouldn't work if you said, all right, let's take Buckingham Palace and it's a functioning active building and we'll just do that to there. It just doesn't work and you couldn't do it to a hotel because it doesn't make any sense. 
But when you've got a building that's stuck, you haven't got the money to be able to redo it or you're waiting for permissions to come through or there's a challenge from the local community to the idea that's going on or there is some kind of issue with environmental, which is a lot of buildings. And it can also be things to do with heritage. Then these buildings are stuck and they're a problem actually for the landlord and they're a problem for the council and usually a problem for the local community. And they're not a small amount of buildings here. We're talking 80,000 in London alone, right? So if you're multiplying out benefits, right? Let's talk ballpark figures. Out of 80,000 empty buildings, if you took 10% of them, right? That's 8,000 buildings. If 8,000 buildings produced the same benefit ratio as the hive, that means 250 pound investment, delivering over a million pounds worth of benefits. You're talking about eight billion pounds worth of benefit directly pumped into London. Just it's like no that. no-brainer, right? It's amazing. And at the same time, you're reducing the amount of cost when it comes to the waste of food. You're cutting down the amount of environmental damage that's being done by throwing away materials straight into landfill. So you're saving the planet. You're saving the environment. You're allowing people to express their creativity in the local area. You're giving businesses opportunities. I mean, in the hive, I think we started 15 businesses. We didn't start, but they came through the hive and blossomed from there. In the current project, in one year, I think we've done 30. So, you, you know, people, people are desperate to start their businesses or desperate to get their idea up and running. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The fear of not being able to do that, the fear of taking them away, and then not being able to bring the cash in that A, prevents people, or B, more dangerously, means that they end up starting something which they just, there isn't the funding available to actually finish, and they end up losing their money and the money yeah. that people invested in them. And the landlord doesn't get paid in, in the end anyway. So you're looking at this weird conundrum where you've got this lovely little elegant solution. It's been going on for years and years and years but no one's connected the dots. And now you and me and others, understanding how this all works together, we're just connecting the dots. We're just saying, well, actually, Mr. Landlord, you don't have to worry that your building is going into the hands of this community group because you don't have to worry where their money's coming from. Because look, there's a warehouse over there and it's full of materials. It's full of desks and chairs that they can just go and get. It's got all the cabling and the lights and the fire protection equipment that they could possibly need. They don't need money for that. And look, they've got voluntary staff that are going to come in and cover X amount of hours per week. There's five groups and they're all putting in one fifth of the hours. That covers the amount of time. So it takes all the risk away from the landlord. They don't have to think, oh, well, is this guy going to get the funding? Are these guys going to be able to afford it? It's, just, it's a risk elimination system actually allows people to just experiment. That's the Yeah, I, 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 I think, you, you know, every time you, even though you'd start, I know this, this conversation was meant to be the first three months of the hive, but when you talk, when we get into conversation, it's always fascinating because I always find out another detail. And for me, it's just as interesting and I'm sure for everybody else watching, it's just as interesting. Those those nuggets of information that you can only experience or know from doing, 
or rather than thinking, oh, yeah, I know how this works, but actually if you haven't done, done it, you don't know how it works. You know, there's that difference between knowing and doing. And you guys know it and you've done it. Which then, you know, uh, we'll, we'll come back to, an, to the other conversation of other interviews when you did the project in Peterborough. Now your current project in, in um, Hackney, Dalston, and um, Zero London. So all those kind of other projects and all those other possibilities will kind of start to build on, on this story. But that as, a, as the beginnings is such an inspirational story. And it's, it, it's not unreachable for a lot of people, right? Especially if they've got the help of, you know, the Respace or and myself and the people that are doing it and have done it successfully. There's, there's help there. And they, you know, it's not like they have to think, oh, I've got to do it myself. One of the things that I find is I say to people, you know, if you see a building, find out, because then just tell me, tell me where it is. I can help you find out who owns it, go, or you can go to the council, et cetera, et cetera. However, the, a lot of the time, the, the first hurdle people fall at is that, finding the property, because they say they want one, and then they got the, got the potential to get one, but then they don't do it. And so for me, I'm really encouraging the other way we've talked about the benefits of the communities and i'm really encouraging artists or creatives or startups to come the other way it's like if you see a building and you're like as you said at the beginning and you want to you would love to take that on or, or change it around it and do the things that we're saying then let us know because we we want as, as we've talked about you we want to make a network of these things digitally connect them and we don't have, we don't want to have to run them. We want to put the power in people's hands so we have respace projects all over the country, all over the world. And so it is. So, say so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging people from the other way, as you said. There's this kind of joining the dots. I'm trying to get more dots from the other side as well. To, to, to then, enter the game. Yeah, I, get what you're saying. I think that's the key. Is like you've got as you pointed out, and it's true. A lot of people look at a building and they think, I'd like, to, I'd like to do something in that. And they have all these fantastic ideas. And then it's, it becomes almost like jumping through hoops to get that building. So our way, I think the way that I'm, you know, we've, like I said earlier, at the beginning of the conversation, we've traded it like the Wild West. You know, it's been about breaking conventional rules and trying to do things different ways, trying to do things smarter. The reality is 99% of business, they say, is done on the golf course, right? That's, that's a, an old saying. So if that is an old saying, there's probably a grain of truth in that. So the reality is, is if you go and speak directly to the person who owns a building and you tell them your idea, they like it. That's no paperwork necessary after that. That's all just box ticking. You don't have to be submitting applications and submitting funding forms and cross-checking to see if you're ticking the boxes. And that's a job that costs money. You're going to have to pay someone just to do that before you even get the building. But if you take the, the tip from the top, the corporates, and you go directly to that landlord or landlady or organization and pitch. <laughs> and then, I, I think it's interesting because I we were... We were lucky in the sense that when we got um, folded space, we actually did it through the agent, which was really surprising because the guy that we spoke to at the agency 
and again, I think it was about the idea. And when you approach them with the idea that they know is going to benefit, it's a win-win-win for you, for the community, for the landlord. So if you, because I pitched that idea to the agent, he was like, okay, I'll put it to the landlord because he liked it. He liked the idea. And we were lucky in that, that sense that when he pitched it to the landlord, to the landlord, the landlord was like, yeah, I'll try that. Who's not going to want to say yes to saving them 10 grand a year? So it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's a no-brainer. I think, as you pointed out, it, what you did by going to the landlord is sort of stepping up. And that's where we want to be on a regular basis. We want to be talking to the landlords, sorry, the agent, the agents of large numbers of buildings, the landlords of significant stock, the councils, the authorities, the government, and saying, look, you've got tons of spaces, you've got tons of buildings, and it's costing you an arm and a leg left, right and center. There's ways that we can improve all of this stuff. Half of the things that you're trying to do with these buildings are services that could probably be taken over by local procurement. So councils are starting to get this into their head now anyway. They're looking at local procurement because they understand you can't be sending your money out of the borough and then complaining that no one in your borough has got any money. You've got to pay your local procurement. And so by trying to transfer in this local buildings, local procurement, local organisations, what you're actually doing is you're strengthening and building resilience in these sorts of, in the councils and in these areas and in these people. And that way, what we can do is we can release lots of buildings, potentially, so that there could be a list of them. And then when someone does want a building, we're in that wonderful position of being able to say, take your pick. Do you know what I mean? What is it that you actually want and, and mix and match? But at this stage, it's just a process of, as you say, spotting a building, finding the owner, and having a good idea, good backup, so that your idea is trustable that you've got the backup of respace, which means you've got materials and you've got knowledge, you've got expertise and you've got connections to other organisations. You've got your own backup in terms of your own network and you've got three or four other organisations in the area who would like to get involved. Once you've got that, you've pretty much got everything you need. And then that's when we can go in and negotiate with the landlord and get a certain period of time, usually a trial period which is ideal because you want to you prove what you're doing. It's, it's a, it's a self-test as much as it's approved to the landlord because otherwise if you're a dead horse, you, know, you need to know that as soon as possible, right? Mm. And the fact that an extension after extension after extension is just an indication of how important your project is. That's what yeah. it was. This yeah. game is... Because what was... was um... The hive extended. Did that? Was that an initial period, and then it kept getting extended, or is it was? Yeah, seven times in total. Landlord just kept, wow. just kept extending it for as long as he possibly could, and then when he got to the end of the deadline he'd set, he just he just thinks to argue with the council <laughs> a bit more time, and put back his building plans for nine months, and do you know what I mean? So just out time, yeah. he just kept getting extensions on. So it wasn't the fact that he couldn't get the right planning. He just didn't want to pursue yeah. that project. Is that what you what you said? So even though you know he he knew that he was going to make a fortune from doing a commercial to resi conversion, he got on with other projects. And because you were doing such amazing work, he chose not to do that project. Is that what you're saying? 
That's what he said. And he's, on, he's, on, he's on video for saying it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you, you, you were also involved like Reba and Hackney Council. There's loads of kind of beneficiaries to the, to the project, right? Yeah, and the GLA and Mayor's Office and um, local NHS and most of the local schools and half of the universities from East London. Do you know what I mean? That dotted in and around. So, I mean, the level is always about trying to, you know, trying to cross all structures and all strata of society. Do you know what I mean? get everybody involved because our mutual our mutual work our mutual collaboration is the thing that makes it successful in the long run right and it also it's the kind of security security in numbers right landlord can feel more confident council can feel more confident you can feel more confident if you know you've got good backup it's amazing like i say i always learn something new and inspiring every time every time we talk um i, I kind of just want to close and, and and kind of finish just talking a little bit more about so we have respace projects which is the which is the vehicle that you've been, use, been using to currently can we talk a little bit share a little bit about respace growth what that project is and what the focus of respace growth is respace growth is a really interesting branch off of what Respace Projects is doing. So yeah, we, we, we're a problem solving architecture, right? With a fundamental view that in the long term, we want to be positively affecting the climate so that we have less damage done to our society from the effects of climate change. So it's mitigating climate behavior, mitigating waste, and trying to find effective solutions for changing people's everyday habits recycling habits, reusing habits, uh, and also putting the actual physical waste into use so that the carbon isn't released into the atmosphere. And if you follow that project log logically, then yes, you want to use buildings in their meanwhile period of time so that that immediate emergency problem solving architecture is there. That's what Respace Projects is for. It's a charitable not-for-profit organization for that purpose. But if you are serious about this shit, then what you really want to do is you want to start getting involved with those problem areas and those problem buildings and start discussing with the local community and local building firms and local uh, uh, service providers about what they want to see built in those spaces. What do they actually need? Do they need another giant tower block full of housing? Do they need five more pretz, one on each corner? Do they need three or four more Tesco Expresses, right? Do they need that? Ask them. But rather than just go out there and send some dry survey that five people fill in, the, what we've discovered through the Respace architecture is that initial period of time is a brilliant opportunity to engage with the local community and find out exactly what their needs are because they're creating the things that they need. So you're not even asking them. They're just, you're just literally giving them the space, watching what they build, then take that concept on further. So Respace Growth was started, and it's a it's a, a company with its specific aim is is to create larger scale developments. Is to work with local producers, local providers, local services, builders, councils, and owners, and say we can take on this whole package. Not only can we use your building in the interim period of time while it's a financial drain to you, and 
generate benefit for the local community and save you money, will use that process to engage that community into the uses they want for your building. We will build it for you using local procurers and the most advanced technology to make it the most environmentally friendly and cost efficient and effective building you can. And you will get that, Mr. Landlord, Mrs. Landlord, as part of our service. And then we can deliver developments that are completely tailored to their local communities that will last 50 to 100 years. We can actually make a serious dent in reshaping the surface of our planet to make it more fit for human habitation and animal wildlife and, you know, and, and continued life. We've got to have a long-term plan and re-space growth is exactly about that long-term plan. Good, because I, I think that one of the key things that I found in that happen in you know different areas have a different obviously makeup of the people and what I found that guy you guys did in in London is different to the things that we were that we did in South and and the response to things and I think that methodology or being able to change that methodology or having the flexibility to change that methodology of how to engage people is not some I don't believe it's something that for example a landlord can just say. Oh, like you say, come in and tell us what you want or fill in this form. It's a longer term process of in really engaging with the community rather than just thinking, oh, you know, this is a this is a planning application. If you want to, um, you know, object to it, object to it. We're going to build it anyway. But there's something so important about engaging local business, local community, like you say, that will affect the longevity and the use of that building so you know if they if they don't listen to you and they just build something before you know it people will be going you know throwing stones at the glass balconies that they've built up <laughs> upstairs but if the community have got some agency in what what's there it's a, again it's a win 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 every time this is a win 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 of course because your your ultimate your ultimate scale ambition here is for a developer, and I would imagine it would be the same whether you, you know, no matter who you are, whether you're from the area, whether you're not. Ultimately, you know, you're not there to do bad. You're there to build nice things for people to want to live in and work in, right? So surely the ultimate trajectory would be you take someone who couldn't normally afford to live in a really beautiful high-rise penthouse apartment, but because you've built a beautiful social scale, you've got a little bit of community project some commercial space and then your living space, you've got a pathway for people to start their businesses and earn the money so that they can be living. People from the local area can be living in those really nicely priced apartments because they've started a business in that previous two years that started to generate them the income. So why are you bussing in clients from all over the world who may or may not give you the rental that you need so you're having to charge huge margins because otherwise you're not going to get your place full all the time? Why are you doing that? When actually your entire marketplace is local and the only reason they haven't got any money is no one's really given them a chance to earn it. Yeah, it's that difference between regeneration and gentrification, right? Because we all, we all like regeneration. Like you say, we want things to look nice. But I find the problem with gentrification is that exact problem that you're busting in people from out of the area and you ignore the people in the area that have actually made the area cool for you as a landlord or to build something there to try and attract people. So as soon as you start forgetting them, then we're in the danger of gentrification. That's when the building and the thing that you're creating is resented. 
Well, this is the thing. I think I think that's that gentrification is actually the byproduct of the system. It's like it's not a part of that system. It's just a byproduct of it because obviously, as as I said earlier, like landlords would want the people in the local area. I mean, they don't really care who it is who moves in, and actually, if they're nearby, it's just easier. The reality is, is the system means that their building is empty, which means they bus in or they don't bus in. But they're getting some property guardians or they're getting a security company. And everyone's kept away from that building and the area around that building starts to go down in value. People don't want to shop there no more. And so it just becomes unattractive. And then your only people who do want to move in will be from further away because they'll be attracted by the previous reputation of that place. Whereas, as you say, all the people who actually made that reputation have been forced out because the building was being rebuilt. And so there wasn't anywhere for them to be. But, you know, by a process of, regeneration you can be rebuilding that building or parts of the building around that principle moving people from project to project and people in the local area can actively generate wealth for themselves do you know what i mean so they can be employing people in the shops that you've made for them do you see what i'm saying so that's our pitch and, and, and reality of respace growth is it, it's better than development standard why it's standard development because it has one unique factor is that it's ground up it's community led so really what you're not doing is you're not slapping down some kind of prefab plan but you're getting something that you know the people who are making it are going to buy into it because they're making it you've, you've yeah. virtually yourself sales from the True. you know the hive out like that why because it used to be the hive so now it's a set of flats and blocks and most of the people in those flats and blocks know that that building used to be the hive and a fair chunk of them have bought a flat and you know rent a flat in that place because it's got that vibe because it's cool now yeah 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 it's interesting that again that um thing of like you say from the ground up from the community from that i suppose from the the heartbeat of what's around around the space is going to give it that life is going to give it the vitality because you know the developer themselves might not even be from that area but they've come into that area but they don't necessarily understand what it's been what it could be and all, you know all the things that somebody that's on the ground brings brings to that so you know i completely agree with um with, with what with, with what you're saying as you know i do anyway um and the reality, and the reality is you know, when you look at the example of Michael, the developer of the Hive, or Shaz, the owner of the New England project, um, or even HCD, who are the owners of our current project, or, or Highgate Bowl, right? If you look at those different examples of landlords, in each case, what we've seen is actually the landlord or the owner, in some respects, change the way that they were viewing things because what is actually necessary so in the case of the hive and michael you know he ended up extending our um our deadlines for so long and then he's moved into doing more social projects now anyway so he's taking on social projects bigger scale buildings and so on. he's doing something similar to what we're talking about with respace growth with shaz nawaz it's the same he he has furthered his political ambitions by using that space in highgate the owners were originally big kitchen for building the large flats they've now changed and they've taken on our garden space idea 
and they're now running their own version of the garden space that was a pitch that we made to them. So there's genuine, there's a genuine pathway here for landlords to also achieve personal ambitions. This is, this is a chance for the kids to be able to go, well, actually, there's a recording studio in one of my uncle's buildings or in one of my mother's buildings. Do you know what I mean? That I can go down and use for free. You know, that, that kind of thing is, is, is invaluable, right? That's what Michael said. He's, he spoke to his son for the first time in like five years or something when his son rang him up and he said, can I do an article about the hive for my local student newspaper? Do you know wow. what I mean? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a personal journey for everybody. It's like, if you get something right and you do something right and it's done with the right intention, it doesn't have to be all about hard love. It can be an intention of just trying to save money in a, in a good way. Do you know what I mean? Minimize waste. Mm. It has its own holistic and virtual benefits. It always pays back. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, yeah, if... Now, I, I, I can imagine, you know, again, there's landlords, there's creators watching this, have listened to this. They, they, you know, they would have probably known within the first 10, 15 minutes whether they, whether they want to go for it and whether they want to do it. But what I'd, I'd encourage is just, you know, from listening to it, even if, you've, even if you've not had your mind changed from listening to it, but you're curious, then, you know, you can still get in touch and see, you know, we can, we can still advise on what you can do with your space, even if you wanted to go and do it yourself. But if you go and do it yourself, you don't necessarily have the skill and know-how of what these guys have done for years. It's something new. And yes, we can hold people's hands and say, this is how you could do it. But actually, we're really interested in, I suppose, making contact with the creatives, making contact with the community, making contact with the councils, landlords, local authorities, all those people that can make this work because it, it's not just one person that makes it makes it work or one lead that makes it work yes they can start the conversation but it's actually it's a few kind of things that make it work so for me i what i'm kind of saying at the end of the conversation is if you're curious to find out find out more how we can help you get in touch get in touch and just you know just give us a call and find out or email us find out what we can do what we can, what we can do, how we can help the community and how we can help you as a developer or as a landlord. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my closing thing. Is there something that you want to add to? Well, I would add, I would add to your closing thing. And, and the point that you've made is that there is always something that we can do to help. It's, it's a key point here because this is, this is about a holistic architecture where the network is greater than the sum of its individual parts. So even if it's just something as simple as we might turn up on one of your building sites and dispose of a quarter of your waste and take it to be used in something else and you'll save five grand on your waste bill. Do you know what I mean? Or it could be we'll offer some advice on certain locations or we'll connect you to social organizations who might want to rent your space afterwards. Or we can put you in touch, you know, we can put you in touch with the great, with great architects. There are, you know, the latest technology in terms of environmental materials because we're partnered with the London Waste and Recycling Board, which is like the 
the mayor's office to, to make London circular by 2025. We can, take, we can call on those things and we can start getting materials for people dead cheap. Mm. And that's going to save money off the bottom line and increase the amount of space you have because you're, you're talking about insulation that's 20, 30, 40% smaller, thinner, lighter. So there are so many multitude of ways where we all, if we're working together, can benefit each other. And it's just about connecting, connecting to us. And then the relationship starts from there. 